I'm very thankful for our worship team, uh, and I can tell that uh, you folks enjoy worshiping the Lord too, and that's wonderful. <laughs> Give God the hand. Um, last week, uh, I was uh, speaking from the book of Luke, chapter 14, and at the end of that chapter, it talks about discipleship. It's really about what it means to be a Christian, and uh, if you follow that, the next chapter, uh, chapter 15, uh, there's a, a new direction for us, and uh, it uh, shows really the heart of God and uh, what Jesus Christ was here and what his ministry meant uh, to the people then and to us today. Uh, in his ministry, uh, Jesus demonstrated power and authority. Uh, he healed the lame, the blind, uh, every kind of disease and illness. Uh, he did wonderful miracles. He turned water into wine. Uh, he uh, walked on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when the storm came up, he calmed the winds and the waves uh, with his word of his mouth. All of these things Jesus did. And yet even his closest disciples had questions about him. Uh, Jesus said that he was one with the Father. And so... Uh, at one point, one of his closest disciples just came out and asked, uh, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus responded, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Many people believed in Jesus. They believed the words that he gave them and they believed that he was literally the Son of God and they worshiped him openly. The religious leaders of that day, however, were envious of his power and authority. They refused to believe, and they tried to discredit him and uh, the things that he taught. Uh, Luke chapter 15 demonstrates the difference between the priorities of the religious people, leaders of that day, and that of Jesus. Luke chapter 15, if you follow the scripture, you'll see that it begins talking about the crowd that was listening to Jesus. It was a very large crowd that was following Jesus, and they were very diverse. They wanted to hear his message. They wanted to see those miracles that he performed. When we look at the diversity of that crowd that followed him, it describes them. There were in that group tax collectors, and other notorious sinners who were following Jesus. There were also the Pharisees and the te teachers of the religious law. The Pharisees and the religious leaders listened to what Jesus had to say, but it was with a critical ear. They were self-righteous, and uh, they were concentrated upon outward appearance. Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but they were filled with all kinds of impurities. The religious leaders had interpreted the Mosaic law in a very strict way, and they set their traditions around these laws, but they were very difficult for the common people to keep these traditions that they had set. Those that did not adhere to the way they interpreted the Mosaic law were considered sinners. Once a person was labeled sinner, the religious leaders 
would not sit with them or eat with them. They would not talk with them. They would not associate with them. We need to be on guard that we're never like that. Those that were identified as sinners loved to listen to Jesus because he told them that God loved them and God wanted them to come to him. God was literally reaching out to them. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories or parables and they were addressed to the spiritual needs of both those religious leaders and to those considered to be sinners. And some of them were very great sinners, I'm sure. The, uh, these three stories, they explain the difference of priority between the religious leaders and what the priorities Jesus has. The first story begins in verse 4. Jesus asked, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Notice the shepherd places high value upon each and every sheep and the lost one as well as those 99. The 99 he leaves in a safe place goes out to search for that lost one. We here, we may be like the 90 and 9. We're spiritually in a safe place. And yet, we were once that lost sheep. The Bible says that every person has wandered away from God. No one except Jesus always did the will of the Father. Some believe that They've wandered so far that God cannot reach them. But it's not true. The distance really doesn't matter whether we're just a little ways away from the Lord or a long ways away from the Lord. He consistently reaches out to us. He follows us. He calls us by name, and he wants us to come to him. You've heard that saying, or perhaps you've heard someone say, well, he or she found the Lord. Literally, The Lord found them, and when they realized it, they felt like they had found him. In verse 5, Jesus continues by saying, And when he has found the lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Perhaps you can remember the moment when you sensed that you were far away from God. And uh, when you turned to him, there he was. He had been following you all the time. He was there all the time. And then we get the picture of the good shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulder. That's literally what the Bible says. Can you picture yourself as that sheep being carried on the shoulder of the good shepherd? In verse 6, Jesus continued, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Will you repeat with me that underlined portion of Scripture? Read that aloud with me. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous 
and have never strayed away. Think of it. The moment we turned to him, God scooped us up in his arms. And uh, God celebrates that. And all of heaven rejoices. For emphasis, Jesus told a second story. In verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Once again, something very valuable was lost. That one coin, perhaps it represented 10% of her net worth. And so, yes, it's valuable. She searches diligently for that coin. Each and every person is valuable to God, no matter where they are spiritually. He loves each one. And he does not give up on anyone, and we should not give up on anyone. The second story ends like the first, verse 9. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Think of it. When we respond to that good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, a celebration in heaven breaks out. Today and every day, there are literally thousands of people making the decision to follow Jesus. And so think of it. There are thousands of celebrations. You can think of it as in heaven, the celebrating never ends. There's always joy in God's presence because people are turning to the Lord. The third parable I consider to be just a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece because he has a diverse crowd and yet he's able to communicate to each one of them and they recognize something that they can uh, take part in and recognize to be a part of them. Um, it begins, the story begins with a man had two sons. The younger son made a very strange request in a very demanding tone. He said to his father, give me my inheritance now, even though his father was well. And um, I, I can only imagine the thoughts of that father. He's thinking, my son only cares about what I can give him. That's all he wants. He just wants his inheritance. But the father split all that he had between his two sons. The older son stayed at home and managed what he'd been given. But the younger son, he took what he had been given and he moved away from his father. And there he wasted in his inheritance on wild living. Soon he was broke. He was lonely. He was miserable. He didn't have food to eat. And so he took a job. He became a servant. And he watched over pigs. And even then, as a hired servant, he didn't have enough money to even eat. Finally, he came to his senses. He knew that he had mistreated his father greatly, but he also knew his father was very kind and forgiving. And so he headed back towards home. He knew that he didn't deserve to be called a son any longer. 
But he thought, perhaps my son will, my father will hire me as one of his servants. He treats his servants well. Perhaps he'll hire me as a servant. But here's the neat part of the story. When he was a long ways away, his father is watching for him to return. And when he saw him in the distance, the Bible says he ran to meet him. And when they met, he threw his arms around him. And the son was thinking about asking for a job. But no, the father receives him like the son he is. And he not only hugs him, but he puts shoes on his feet. He puts his very best robe, probably dad's robe, he takes and he puts on this young man. And then he gives him the family ring. Now that would be comparable to a family credit card, if you know what I mean. I didn't give any of my sons a credit card, believe me. They had to pay their own way. But that's what he did. That's the way he responded to him. And then he ordered the best meal that they could provide. And a celebration soon began. I love these three stories. These are great. In the first one, we see the lost sheep being found by the shepherd. And when the shepherd finds him, he puts him on his shoulders and carries him back home. And then there's a great celebration. And then there's the second one, and it's similar. The woman loses a coin. She finds it, and she invites in her neighbors and friends and says, let's celebrate. And then there's this third story for emphasis. Three stories. The son is lost this time. And this time the father, when he sees him, coming, knows that he's repented, runs out and meets him, and a celebration once again breaks out. These are three fantastic stories, and everyone would have been happy if Jesus would have said, okay, you can all go home now. But he wasn't finished. Jesus wanted to address the religious leaders. And so he turns his attention to the religious leaders and uh, I don't have time to give you all the details of the story. I'm just kind of telling it to you. But there's an older brother in the story. The older brother refused to join in the celebration. Actually, he refused to even meet with his younger brother who came home. He refused to celebrate. He refused to honor that son that had returned. The older brother represents the attitude of the religious leaders. They didn't care about the people that had wandered away from God. They, didn't, they weren't worried or concerned about reaching out to them. They didn't see them as valuable at all. They didn't believe that sinners could repent and be changed. They didn't rejoice even when they did repent. They didn't welcome sinners into their temple. They thought they could worship better without them. Thank you very much. Jesus wants everyone to know that his priorities are not like that of the religious leaders. Jesus clearly stated his main agenda in the following ways. Jesus said, I have come to call, I, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, 
I came to seek and save those who are lost. And Paul confirms the same message. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You can see the agenda that Jesus has. Saving sinners is the highest priority that Jesus has. And if we are his disciples, his priorities become our priorities. So individually and corporately, our purpose must be to encourage others who are turning to Christ and to give them the gospel message that through faith in Jesus Christ, they too are forgiven and are saved eternally. The priorities of Jesus often take us by surprise. One time, he went to Capernaum, and he taught the people, and he healed many people. And the next morning, it tells us that he went out into the wilderness, and the crowd was looking for him, and uh, they wanted him to return back to town and, and teach more and heal more. And when they found him, they begged him to stay. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why he sent me. Perhaps we are like the 99 sheep that are in, are in a safe place spiritually. And Jesus is out searching for the lost one. If Jesus were here today in person, he might not spend much time with us. Jesus might instead go to the beach and talk to people that had wandered away from God. And then at lunchtime, Jesus might decide to have lunch with a local drug dealer. Jesus often surprises us with his priorities. So how shall we respond to the priorities of Jesus? I'm going to make just a few suggestions. Number one, you can invite a friend to come to church with you. Um, this, is an this is a very important thing because when they're here, they're going to hear the gospel message and some of them may take a step closer to Christ. Others may take that first step of salvation just because you invite them to come. And if you invite them, be sure you're here when they come so you can sit with them. That would be very important. Another thing we can do as a congregation, that is welcome new people. You're, you're good at it. Just continue. Uh, greet them. Say, my name is John. Have we met? I do that sometimes. And last week I did that to a, a young couple. And they said, yeah, we met last week. I said, <laughs> great. <laughs> I'm pretty human, folks. It's important that we have open arms to welcome new people into our congregation. Uh, when you meet them, uh, ask a, a few uh, very safe questions that allow them to tell you about their interests. Uh, let them do most of the talking, and uh, you be the listener if possible, if they're willing to talk to you. Introduce them to other people in the congregation. You know, finding a friend within a congregation is just extremely important. Sometimes if people don't find a friend in the first few weeks, they won't come back. They'll look for another church, and they'll say, well, they're not very friendly. 
but if we're doing our part, that's their problem, not ours. We just need to welcome as best we can. When, uh, when, our pri- when our priorities become one with God's priorities, people will come to Christ. Whether we see it or not, they will. And people will take a closer step to the Lord. And I want you to know that heaven rejoices when that happens. Well, I've covered the safe topics. A smart pastor would just quit right there. But let me take some risk. Um, Here's a topic. At, At times, people have asked me, Pastor, why don't you wear a coat and a tie? And uh, the reason I don't is I don't want to set any particular dress code. I don't want men to feel like they have to wear a coat and tie when they come to worship with us. I'm, I know a church, it's not far from here. Um, they're just, they're an independent congregation. I knew the pastor first, and one time I had an opportunity to meet the congregation. And when I met the congregation, I quickly noticed that all the ladies wore long skirts, every one of them. And uh, I I asked him about it uh, confidentially, and he said, well, we don't have a dress code. That's the way they want to dress. And I thought, you don't have a written dress code. You have an unwritten dress code. (laughs) Any woman that comes to your church is going to recognize that they need to wear a long dress to really fit in and be a part. If we want to reach other people, we want them to feel comfortable. Um, And and so basically, uh, I try not to dress uh, too formally or too informally. Um, I want people to just feel free. If ladies want to wear a long dress, let them wear a long dress. Uh, If men want to wear a shirt and tie and a coat, that's great too. We just want to... Our, our, our goal has to be that when new people come in, they're going to feel comfortable however they're dressed, okay? Is that good? Uh, yeah. We don't want to set up. What happens is dress can be a barrier code for people in the community. And if they recognize that they don't fit in the way they're dressed, they feel uncomfortable, they're not going to be back either. So with that advice, listen to God. Let him lead you. Um, and that'll be great because we want a variety in the way we're dressed. We don't want to all dress the same. Okay, good, great. If that doesn't get me in trouble, and by the way, I I didn't check this sermon out with uh, Pastor Glenn. I'm just off on my own here doing my own thing. (laughs) There's a topic that divides many congregations. It's called style of music or style of worship, however you want to say it. It divides congregations. And um, I, I think when you, when you think about it, if we have a, a congregation, ours is, I don't know, 400, 450, whatever it is, uh, we can't possibly provide music that will make everyone in the congregation happy. That's, that's not possible. Um, and then there's the people that come in from the community. What kind of music do they like? And that needs to be a high priority for us to consider. Uh, one person who's attended church all their lives, their desire for music style is different from that of the people in our community that we are trying to reach out to. So 
we end up trying to satisfy as much as possible. And uh, who should be our top priority? I would suggest that the priorities of Jesus is to reach those who have wandered away from the Lord. And we should adopt music that appeals to people outside the church, but has a strong message of salvation, a strong message of the gospel, so that they hear and what they hear in music and words leads them to Christ. Music speaks to people on a level that the spoken word does not. It just does. So what style would be best for a given church? A church uh, really needs to know their community if they want to reach those people outside of their church. Um, so we have to determine, let's, for example, if you're in a retirement community, the music style you choose would be different from that of a congregation that has a community filled with young families. Um, the ethnic or the uh, social level uh, is also extremely important, and we have to take that into consideration so that we are appealing to those in our community so that they might come to church, they might hear the gospel, their lives might be changed. If my mom was here, she'd say, lighten up, Johnny. So, so I will. Uh, a pastor preached a sermon, and after sermon, he was shaking hands with folks, and uh, one lady said, that was a nice message, pastor. And he said, thank you very much. He said, uh, but I really can't take the credit for that message. The Holy Spirit gave me that message, and she said, the message wasn't that great. You know, if you can't laugh. Um, while preparing this, when I do a message, I start on Sunday for next Sunday. <laughs> I like to have an idea where I'm going along in advance, but I really don't start working until a week in advance. But during that week, I just, um, I, you know, I ask God to speak to me. I look over the scriptures carefully, and then sometimes uh, something is just dropped in my lap. Uh, this last week, uh, I saw on Facebook uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he had been at the, uh, the general conference of the Free Methodist Church down in Orlando, and uh, he wrote a little note on Facebook. And uh, he was talking about a message that had challenged him, and uh, he listed uh, three things. I'm going to mention a couple of them, and uh, I'm going to uh, summarize, really. Uh, and the first one was, we must not hold to church traditions and customs that tend to exclude those who don't, didn't grow up attending worship services. And secondly, we must be willing to sacrifice our preferences for the people God wants to reach with the gospel message of Jesus. We looked at three stories this morning, and uh, it was really about the lost being found and the celebration that follows. Jesus wants us to know that everyone has wandered away at some point. And God's Spirit pursues each of us, each person, every person, no matter how good or how bad they are. And when we turn to Him, 
God literally runs to meet us. And he wraps us up in his arms. And we know that he loves us. And he cares for us. And he forgives us. And he promises eternal life for us. And then he wraps us in his cloak of righteousness. I'm going to close with a story. Um, It's about a young man named Paco. Paco and his father lived in Spain. Uh, The the story actually comes out of a book, uh, Capital of the World by Ernest Hemingway. And um, Paco was a rebellious son. And uh, father and Paco became estranged. And it went on for many, many years. Let me cut to the chase. In a final act of desperation, the father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love, your father. Paco is a rather common name in Spain, and when the father arrived the next morning, there were about 600 young men all named Paco. Each young man was waiting, hoping to hear the words of forgiveness from their father. I want you to know that we don't have to wait for God. He is pursuing us. If you feel like God is far away, please know that he loves you. He's waiting for you to turn to him. God offers forgiveness for all sins, big ones and small ones alike. As we sing, take the opportunity to accept God's forgiveness and allow him to direct your lives in the future. As we take that step, God will embrace you and the angels of heaven will rejoice and you can face all the difficulties of life with joy and peace Even when you're coping with the most difficult things in life, you will have that joy and that peace. And if you take that step today, perhaps even during the song, please come to me and tell me about the decision that you made this morning.